to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. I also want to just honor the older women in our midst. You might not have um, physical children and natural children, but you are a mother in the church. You are a mother in the spirit. I want to honor that also. Your children are also plenty and uh, you will see the fruits and you will reap the fruits of your labor. So I just want to honor you. Uh, I just want to take this time. I ever told myself if I ever speak at the city, because you're so amazing like speakers, right? So the bar is very high. So if I ever have a chance to speak at the city, uh, I want to just uh, honour my husband, Rudy. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, all my years of ministry, I've always, I've, I've always been in ministries that, that requires a lot of my time, especially on the Sunday. So I'll be running around or I'll be on the platform. And Rudy will, like, without complaint, be waiting for me while I finish up. And after we have kids, as you can see, he'll be tending to the kids, bringing them to Sunday school when I need to be up here. Even I'm, when I'm leading a life group, he's there helping to put the kids to sleep while I'm leading the life group. And even though I'm viewed as a leader, I, to me, he is leading me with his humility, with his uh, servanthood, you know, and, and with his gentleness. And so I just want to honour him. I just want to uh, introduce myself. I know many of you might not know me. I'm Christine. So I've been serving uh, with Pastor Daniel since we were in Cornerstone. Uh, I grew up in church. We came over as pioneers. And uh, I just want to say it's such an honour to be able to be part of this team, uh, to just lead the church and to be with the church and serve the church. And I think our church is, we are just going from glory to glory and it's my honour. And so when Pastor Daniel told me to share on, on a Mother's Day, of course the first thing is, not on my birthday. I don't want to work on my birthday. I purposely put Jason to lead worship so that I don't have to work on my birthday. <laughs> you know, but he asked me, and immediately when he said that, even before I could answer him in the spirit, the Lord just dropped like an idea of the sermon. I'm very excited to share this with you today. So let's just start, okay? Let's turn to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 29. Do we have that? And it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And over here, we have a glimpse into what God is doing in the last days. The Lord allows us to have a peek into what He's doing, the manifestation of His spirit in the last days. And over here, we have we see here that sons and daughters will prophesy. And we see that a, God is raising a prophetic generation, a young generation that will have a prophetic age in their lives. And with the rise of the young, and you know, sometimes in church, I've been growing up in church for uh, I'm 35 years old, so even literally since the day I was born, uh, I've been hearing things like, okay, the next generation, the next generation, and sometimes we focus on the young that we forget that there's the old or the present, you know, and with sons and daughters, there is an implication that there will also be fathers and mothers in the prophetic. Yes, and so not only sons and daughters shall prophesy, but there will be prophetic mothers and fathers in the ministry, in the context of family, enabling the young ones to grow in maturity and in power. In First Chronicles, we have a little peek of it when in the tabernacle of David, 
uh, the psalmist and he, uh, he has his people called uh, Herman and Asaph, Jedutun, they prophesied together with their children and their parents. And we see a glimpse of that. We see the children joining the parents, joining their uncles, their aunties and extended family in prophesying and ministering to not only God, but to the people in the tabernacle of David. The concept of family is very important in the, in the Bible and it is both in the physical sense, in the natural sense, and also in the theological sense. But I will touch on the natural one today, okay? So theological one, we leave it for Andre and his church series. <laughs> the concept of family was introduced right at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, after the Lord, God looked at Adam and Eve and he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, unlike society's expectations of family, you know, we, they are encouraging us to marry young, have children, raise them up to be responsible citizens, and then after that, they, they live their life and they go through that cycle, get married, have children, raise them to be responsible adults, and then... It goes on and on. But unlike society's expectation of a family, the biblical idea of a family is not just for procreation. There is a purpose that we are not just told to be fruitful and multiply. We have to fill it and subdue it and have dominion over it. There is a purpose for families. We are not just here to make babies, okay? Have fun in the process or so, but make babies, make babies, and then that's it. And then we just leave them into the world system. If you are living a biblical life. There is a purpose for your family. Families were, were important and significant to God and we can see that in the stories like Noah. God was pleased with Noah. God found Noah righteous in his sight. And so when God wanted to send the flood to destroy the earth because of unrighteousness, he didn't just save Noah. He saved his entire family. It was not just a, an individual salvation. It was a family salvation. And we also see like with the covenant with Abraham, when God called Abraham out of Haran, God called him and his family. He didn't just say, Abraham, you and Sarah, come, let's go. No, God didn't let him desert his family, but he brought his family out as well. And the covenant uh, that God had with Abraham, it was circumcision, right? That, that was the sign of the covenant. With, and the sign of the covenant, the circumcision was to be applied to all the males in the household, whether you are born into the family or whether you are a born servant or a staff of the household, it was applied to you. Which means if you are a male and you are circumcised in that household, you are part of that covenant. So God's covenant wasn't just an individual covenant. It was not just for Abraham full stop. It was for his entire household. And two out of the ten commandments deal with maintaining family cohesiveness, if you realise. Commandment number five, what's that? Honour your father and mother. Commandment number seven. Do not commit. I need to teach you all a song. Then you all will remember. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Ten Commandments song. But commandment number seven is do not commit adultery. You know, and all this, and which, which protects the sanctity of marriage, right? And God found that the health of the family and family was so important that he had to integrate those, these two commandments into the national laws of Israel. That's how much he viewed, and that's how significant he viewed families. And in the New Testament, of course, we have uh, stories from Paul and the other apostles testifying that whole households got saved, whole households getting baptized. And we see that, we see that God is, is in the business of families. He's not just about an individual, but his family. In fact, the greatest revelation of God is that he's a father. Yes? Above everything else, the, the thing that gets us is the greatest revelation of God is that he's a father and he's looking for a family. When God sees us, when God sees you, he doesn't just see an individual. He sees your bloodline. 
He sees those before you and those that will come after you. When he sees Christine Yvonne Cheng, he doesn't just see me today. He sees my forefathers. He sees those that will come after me, my children's children. God is raising up prophetic families in the last days. Again, before you disqualify yourself and say, oh, I'm not prophetic. I'm a family, but not prophetic. You know, uh, I'm not like Jason. I hear God all the time or I don't see visions. No angels walk into my bedroom and uh, I don't go shabba and shake myself, you know. <laughs> you know, Shandai and all those, I don't get it. Well, before you disqualify yourself as a prophetic person, let me just debunk some prophetic things, yes? In Joel 2, the word, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, the word to prophesy has a root word in Hebrew, uh, nabi or naba. And that simply means, very simply, it means to, be, uh, to speak under the Spirit's influence or to be instructed by divine inspiration. That's all it is to the prophetic. To speak under the Spirit's influence and to be instructed by divine inspiration. All of us, in fact, the Bible keeps reminding us that all believers can and should prophesy. Paul spoke extensively about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In verse 1, he told the church, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So in all your getting of spiritual gifts, healings, revelation, power, especially that you may prophesy. Just down in verse 3, he says, And those who prophesy speaks edification, exaltation, and comfort to men. That's easy, right? That's something you can do, right? Edify, exalt, bring comfort and, and encouragement to somebody. That's prophecy. And then he goes on and he, he just presses it in a little bit and says, now I want all of you to speak in tongues. I want you to be filled with the Spirit, but even more to prophesy. Even more to prophesy. So all believers can. All believers should prophesy. And that makes you a prophetic person. And God is raising up prophetic families so what does a prophetic family look like? What does it look like to have traits of a prophetic family? What, is, what does it look like to lead your family in a prophetic way? I have three traits of a prophetic family. And the first one is the prophetic family thrives on truths, not trends. Now we have the very popular verse in Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 where we are encouraged to present ourselves as living sacrifices and not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But what I like is the message version and I just want to read to you. Let's just go to verse 2 from the message version. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Do not be conformed. Don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Sometimes we become so well adjusted to what society and what culture and what uh, is trending that we function like hamsters on wheels. Yes, we have always been taught to think this way and so we, we, we run this way. We, we are told to do this thing so we run this way. And that's all we have been, been taught to do and that's how we function. For example, kiasuism. It's prevalent in our society. It's a self-preservation thing. I must take care of myself and myself first. And then after that, I can worry about somebody else. Yes? In a dog-eat-dog corporate world, I must manipulate, I must trick, I must cut corners so that I can stand out in front of my bosses. Integrity, you know, leave it for the homes, but you know, I, I, need, to, I need to stand out. I need to just work my way up. That's what is in trend. That's what's happening. Even things like parenting. You know, when, my, when both my kids like, are reaching two years old, there's this 
popular phrase that says, oh, your, your kids are coming to two years old, they're, they're entering into their terrible twos. I hated it, you know. Like, why, why do you proclaim this kind of thing upon your, like, your child's journey and your journey as a parent that your child is entering into a terrible day, like, all of a sudden, on their birthday, ding, dong, ding, dong, they just step into it and they go, and there's outbursts and tantrums and uh, uncontrollable crying and then you don't know what to do. Like, why do we, why do we even call, like, name it? I know they have tantrums. Even a 28-year-old has a tantrum. Even adults throw tantrums and have like a fit once in a while. So why do we label things like that? Why do we, why do we just function? And then parents get all angsty and, oh no, terrible tools. I must learn some counselling skills. I must learn how to uh, manage him. I must talk in a certain way. I must have these four Cs to counter his uh, tantrums. Well, knowledge is good, but you know, still must have wisdom, lah. You know, don't you want you want to say this kind of thing? Then, you know, too bad. Uh, so Travis, he's four this year, but he's a year end baby, and he is uh, and he's he's born in November, so technically he just turned three. You know, we only decided to enroll him into nursery this year, so this year he's nursery two. All his classmates are four year olds. He's one of five that are born like second half of the year. Everybody else is like before. Uh, the first half of the year. And then he's also one of two kids who are new to the school. So the rest of them either have been there since uh, in preschool or nursery one. Uh, we just decided to enroll him this year because he technically just turned three. Lah, you know, and we don't want him to just do, to go there and be blur and we also don't want to waste money. <laughs> so, so we enrolled him into school and every month, uh, the teachers will give us this folder with all the homework that they do, like the colouring or like the tracing. And then I, I remember in February, I received like, so the first month, you know, it's like, oh, star, like thick, oh, good try, <laughs> kind of. Second, the second month in February, I received and then there was this one portion. It's like, wow, all red words. And I like, looked carefully and it said that... Uh, uh, Travis seems to have a short attention span. He doesn't like to, to colour uh, and he doesn't finish his colouring homework often. Uh, what else do you say? He's still not independent enough, uh, but we hope that he will, he will uh, pick up the, the necessary life skills in time to come. I tell you, I read that, right? Because I, I, for two hours, uh, I was like... Is my child slow? Oh no. Is my child slow? Like, oh dear, he's not independent enough. Oh, what have we done? We, we shouldn't let him watch all those cartoons. It's like, I should have read to him when he was one years old. Like, he doesn't. Oh my goodness. It's like, I shouldn't have hired a helper because now he's not independent. My mother shouldn't take care of him. We should just leave him alone at home. And I, I know, I seriously started freaking out. Like, oh my goodness, my child is not catching up in school. I see a serious, like serious panic attack. And then I'm thinking, I started thinking, what can I do in school? So what can I do at home so that I can improve his performance in school? Should I start to like print out cards, you know, and then like start to, or like start to tell him, no, Travis, you have to do this. And then he must have a routine at home. I keep thinking, thinking, and then finally I go, wow, how God? You know, like I just really, I asked God, how God? And then I think God was like so amused in the two hours. And then finally, when I say how God, right? Like he has permission already to speak. So like permission to speak. And it's like the, the light of truth just pierced into my soul and the veil of stupidity fell. <sighs> Do you have those kind of like a veil of stupidity moments? Yeah, like, you know, like you are so, I'm so caught up in this. Oh my goodness, my N2, my son is not catching up. He's going to fail in life. <sighs> and then suddenly I said, oh God. And then he just go, like he didn't say I'm stupid, but I felt it. So, and then I just realized, 
oh my gosh, Christine, he's nursery two. He just turned three in November and it's February. He's not independent because he has never been to school before. He's just learning the routines. And he doesn't like to colour, yes, because he's a tactile learner and a visual learner. He likes to, to play with things with his hands. He likes to touch uh, texture. And I, all of a sudden, I was like, yeah. I mean, I'm not validating my son, but I'm like, yeah, chill, man. <laughs> it's like, he's just N2. It's not going to destroy his, his O-levels or his A-levels, you know. And, like, and, and, for, and really, in just that open moment, I was like, okay, thank goodness I'm processing this by myself and not like in front of people because it's such an embarrassing thing. It's like, why am I freaking out over uh, somebody's comment who just knew him for barely one and a half months? And she's just giving a very um, by-the-book factual observation and I cannot blame her. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And then I started to partner with truth that, no, Lord, you made him different. You made, you are, he's unique and he will grow into his own person. And I began to partner with truth instead of what's going on and start, you know, finding assessment book for N2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all you assessment book people, too obsessed already. We need to break out of what society is telling us and we need to thrive on truth of the word of God and what God has told us personally instead of just functioning like a hamster. Because the kingdom of God is very different from the society, right? From the culture of this world. It says that if you want to go high, you go low. Not to manipulate people and step on them and then get high, right? It says to, if you want to lead, you have to serve and not you know, try to stand out and then be manipulative, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. And to, for, for you to be the first, you have to be last. You don't just run and then cut queue. Right? You know, and so we need to, like what, uh, what Paul says, to readily recognize what God wants from us. That if, even in the, in the routine of life, we need to quickly recognize what God wants from us and respond to it. We need to, not to react to trends, but we need to respond to the truth. Yes? We, and sometimes, and, and let me just say this, let's stop partnering with the spirit of foreboding. The spirit of foreboding is the feeling or the prediction that something bad is going to happen. It's like, oh, confirm die one. Then you know what happened? Confirm die. Why? Because you said, right? Proverbs tells us that life and death is in the power of time and those who love it will eat its fruits, right? And every time you say, oh, confirm can off, like that, then he will be very terrible because the book says so. This, this, is, what it will, this, is, how, this is how trends and markets have been like that. Bad, bad economy means, oh, we, our, wow, our family is so jialat already. We need to partner with truth, not with the spirit of foreboding. Statistics can say one thing. Studies and surveys done, these are all great. But we need to partner with truth. We need to operate on a higher law. The fact that all of you, the fact that all of you are, are seated, right, and I'm, I'm rooted to the ground is because of the law of gravity, right? It's pulling us. And me jumping off from here, and law of gravity ensures that I will fall back to the ground. That is the law of gravity. And when we see like an airplane, for example, we think, wow, with that mess, right, it's so much more difficult to overcome gravity. But if you apply the law of aerodynamics, and with the, with the plane's uh, powerful engines, the plane will be able to lift off, defy gravity, and travel like, 600 miles an hour, 700 miles an hour? Does it mean that the law of gravity is not present? No. The law of gravity is still pulling on the plane. But what's happening is when, but when, as long as the law of aerodynamics is applied, the plane can, can, can just break. The gravity loses its hold. And the plane can break free from the bonds of this earth. As long as the law of dynamics is applied. And so circumstances can run in this way. World trends can happen. Things can happen. So culture tells us to, to operate in a certain way. Sure. But we operate on a higher and a different system. 
as long as we apply the truth of God, as long as we apply the word of God in our lives and we partner with that, we operate on a different system. And if we do that, we can see that even in, when sexual immorality is rampant in this generation, we can have a generation of people who are pure, who save themselves for marriage. You know, when people are cutting corners and manipulating and stepping on others to climb up the corporate world, we can have integrous and honest people in the workplace. We can have that if we partner with truth. The second trait of a prophetic family is the prophetic family feeds on faith, not fear. In Numbers 13, we see Moses sending the 12 spies out to Canaan. Canaan is what they left Egypt for. Canaan is, is like the goal, right? And of course, they wandered, but then Canaan is the goal. And then now they are at the threshold of Canaan and Moses sends 12 spies into the land to, to see what it's like. And I love it when, when the Bible describes like, oh, they cut off a branch of a cluster of grapes and it was held between a pole between two men. One cluster of grape. That's a humongous cluster of grape. One cluster of grape on a pole between two men. Can you imagine? And then it says like, oh, there, there, there were pomegranate. I want to see how the watermelon looks like, you know. If the grapes are like that, <laughs> so big, I, I wonder how the watermelon looks like. Whether there will be square watermelons or so, like Japan. And then there are figs, and, and they saw a land flowing with milk and honey. But when, we came, when they came back to give the, the report, two of the spies, of course, you know, Joshua and Caleb said, that, oh, it was good, you know, we can do it. It's like, yeah, giants, what giants? Fortified walls, whatever, let's just go. The land is it's full of milk and honey. It's, it's right for us to come in already. But ten of the spies went in, and all they saw, they, were, they went up the same place, they surveyed the same land, and all they saw were giants. All they saw were that they were grasshoppers in, in, the, in the sight of the people there. All they saw were fortified walls, impenetrable. You see, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. Second Corinthians reminds us that we walk by faith, not by sight. And he also says, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, fear fixes our gaze on what's impossible and not what's available. Yes, the land was ready for them. It was why they came out from Egypt for. But yet when they saw that, they allow what they see without applying faith, they, they allow fear to creep in. And when fear crept in, it fixes their focus and their gaze upon what's impossible, not what's available. You know, Rudy and I, now we have two kids, right? And we, we want to have a third one. For, right, right. even from before uh, we got married, we dated for seven years, then we got married, and then in the fifth year, then we had uh, Travis, so it's a long process, right? And we always wanted to have a third child. I wanted to have a third child. God has, it, it, became, it was like a feeling like, oh, third child is nice, three children, nice, but it really became a God thing when I felt like the faith of God for three children, to mother, not just three, but also like spiritually lead them, Right? But you no, know, Rudy, he, he, he's being a good husband and a good leader and he's thinking, financially, you know. And so when we had Travis, it took everything in our bank to like pay for the, the things, you know, just the gynae visits and the delivery costs and then the expenses thereafter. There's a lot of expenses. And it took us a lot of things, you know. And, and when we decided to have Erilyn, uh, it, it also means that we need to get a helper because both of us are adamant about serving in church. And that means we have to raise the cost of our, our expenses while the cost of our, our income is like still the same. And I tell you, we are, we, 
at this time we are at the best um, juncture of our financial life. Really, we we were we were paid peanuts in like previous jobs and everything, but like now we are really at the best. But still, because of that, we couldn't have any savings. It was like come and talk to me uh, um, to me about how I got married and how I got a house. You'll be encouraged and you will go and get married. Okay. <laughs> But but you know Rudy Rudy being the being the practical and like he has to protect the family um, finances and all those. So after we had everything, he was like, uh, okay. But but so with, with the helper thing, right? Uh, like a family really stepped in and helped us to pay one year's worth of expenses. We really trusted God. We just said, God, if you want us to have the second child, you have to provide help. You have to. And so I just casually mentioned it like during one of our meetups with a family and. They came back to us like a couple of days later and say, "Oh, we want to help you with the first year's expenses of your of your of getting a helper, getting a domestic help." And it, to us, it's like, "Okay, God." At first, I was like reluctant. That's a lot of money, but then I was like, "God, if this is your way of giving it to me, I'm taking it." You know, and I am. We are very appreciative of of that gesture, and. And so God provided, and we saw, and you know, and the, for both for both deliveries, the Rudy is a Indonesian Chinese, and so his parents live in Indonesia, and we we don't usually tell them when we give birth because we don't want him to come down like they have to wait so long. You don't really know when you're giving I natural birth, so don't know when, right? And so it always happens that one week after, uh, one week before my delivery date, which I wouldn't know, Rudy's mom will always call him and say, "Hey." <laughs> and Rudy, of course, say, Oh, man, <laughs> Rudy, do you have money? And then Rudy will reply, Oh, if you want to give, sure. <laughs> and she always, I mean, never tell her how much. It can be like a couple hundred or whatever, but she always gives enough for our entire delivery, which those of you who got mar- who, who gave birth, you will know how much it costs. Uh. Four figures, uh, okay? And she'll always give enough to cover. And we just have to pay like, 1,000 plus out of our Medisafe and it covers everything. And we see God like providing for us all the time. So one day, we, uh, well, we had this heated discussion about child number three because we were just talking. I was like, Rudy, I'm getting old, you know. Like, it's not easy to recover, you know. Like, like we had to think first, okay? Don't just like think, oh, you think about it, then you think a child will come out. Right? No, no uh, not, doesn't work that way, okay? So have to plan, okay? Yeah. So after, so while we were talking, and then Rudy, Rudy is just, he was just in this like, yeah, how? Cannot lah, very difficult lah. No, we just we just entered it at like, wow, God God must show us like an increase in our financial thing in our financial statement before we can agree, before we can say yes. Uh, and so we, we left it as that as that. And then I think like one two months later, Rudy just came to me. Um, I was sitting in front. We were at Lion Building C, and he went to the toilet. And then he came back and then he sat next to me and said, "I think we can have the third child." Now I was like, "Now? <laughs> what? Uh, excuse, uh, hello." Focus. Uh, no. But then he said, but anyway, he said, God spoke to me. And I was like, okay, can we talk about this later? Like, it doesn't seem appropriate that we're, talk- we're going to talk about it in the middle of a sermon. So anyway, what he, what he told me was when he went to, so I forgot who was it that shared. I really forgot. But somebody shared about, um, no, not, not, even, not even like, it was like something not even related to it. Okay, it's like obedience to God, something like that. Uh. Then he went to toilet, meet sermon. And in the toilet, in the in the in the urinal, God spoke to him, and God said to him, "Go ahead and have number three. I will provide all your needs, like how I did for number one and number two. So he came back excited, like and told me, okay. So I was like, okay. So I was like, oh, you finally caught up in our faith journey. <laughs> like 
I knew this for how many years already? Yeah, like, but I'm glad God spoke to you, lah. You know, <laughs> so glad. Yeah, so it didn't come from me. And so we were like, okay, God will provide. God will provide. And then just recent, I, by the way, I'm sharing all this with His permission, okay? And then we just had a conversation one month ago where we were discussing finance, finances and, and, and like how, how we even cope, you know, like manpower because our kids was, are so close in age. How? And he came up with the whole like, why don't we just settle for two? La? Da, 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 da. We, uh, we don't have the money, Chris. Da, 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 da. And then I just, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired person that I am. I just sit. I just kept quiet, really. I kept quiet. And then I say, Rudy, what did God tell you about kid number three? Then you see the the loose already, that thing, you know, the KO. Then he just kept quiet. I said, Rudy, what did God tell you about kid number three? And I forced him to say, I say that we will that he will provide like number one, number two, don't have to worry about finance, we can go ahead. No, it's a defeater already, like I, I cannot win God. Kind. So I told him, Rudy, it's either we believe in God or we believe in God. Right? It's like both I told him both of us, right? You look at how, how we are earning and you know and how much we can earn in the next couple of years. And even like the help physically, you know, with all this and all the expenses and the inflation that comes after. If we don't trust God, then we got nothing. It's either we trust God or we don't trust God. So either, it's either we take his word for it or we don't take his word. And if we don't take his word for it, then every other promises that he gave us are, is nullified. Well, would you believe in one and not believe in the other? You believe completely in one. And so I won. <laughs> And so we were like, okay, yes, okay, let, let's, let's, let's believe God. Rudy was looking at what's not available. You know, he was letting the, the systems of this world just and the, and the fears that he has, which are logical and, and practical, but it let, he let it consume him for a moment and he couldn't see what's available instead of what's impossible. But once, once that faith comes in again, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And when that word of, the rhema word of God becomes alive in him again, and he heard that word of God, faith was imparted to him again, and he began to see what's available and what's not. He dismisses what is impossible. You know, Erin likes to say, uh, she's afraid of airplanes because we stay in Sengkang, and sometimes you can hear the airplanes from the airbase, Fire Labor airbase. Last time she would go like, no scared! No scared! Because we keep telling her, Erilyn, it's okay, don't be afraid. She will run to us and take cover, you know, saying that she's afraid of the sound of the aeroplanes. But then we told her, you don't have to be afraid. And so she started to, when she hears the overhead, right, she'll, no scared! No scared! And, and you know, sometimes we have to be like that. We have to faith it. Fake it, okay? We have to faith it <laughs> until we make it. We have to keep faithing and say, yes, God, I believe in you. Even the whole circumstances don't see that way. But I have to faith it. I have to journey with my faith. I have to make it substantial. I have to make it evident in my life. Yes? You know, and so, so sometimes, you know, when, we, when, when I, so I, I'm reminded of Erin, I just go, no scared. No scared. God, God has it. No scared. And number three, number three, the prophetic family leaves a legacy, not just a lineage. We all know the story of Abraham, you know, and his promise, you know, that God will give him a descendants like the stars or like the sun, depending on what you want. <laughs> you are my everything. <laughs> go watch it. Go watch it. <laughs> descendants like the stars, okay? 
Yeah. You know, and even though conditions were not favorable at that time, Abraham's believing set in motion a blessing for his generations to come, yes? Even like in, in even in Genesis it says that it was accounted to him because he believed in God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so when when Jacob finally reunited with Joseph in Egypt, uh, the whole the whole nation of Israel was like barely 80 people. It was just one extended family. And so when Joseph and, and uh, Jacob reunited in, in, uh, in Egypt, Jacob was dying. You know, so in the natural, he was dying, but he, he wanted to, to spread and he wanted to transfer and he wanted to just reiterate the promises of God, uh, the spiritual legacy that God gave to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to him. And he wanted to reiterate, it, to reiterate that to Joseph's sons who were born in Egypt. And so he gathered uh, Joseph's sons and this, this is the prayer of blessing that he gave to them in Genesis chapter 48. Verse 15, and it says, He blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And in just in this short blessing, Jacob recounted what God did for his father, his father's father, for himself. And he reiterated, he reiterated the promises of God for that family bloodline. Because God is not just interested in, in lineage, in, in uh, procreation. God is very intentional about purpose, about legacy. And even though Jacob was dying, he had to speak to Joseph's sons who were, in, who were in Egypt at the time. And he had to recount for them the faithfulness of God from generation to generation. He had to tell them once again that you don't live for your own, that you have a spiritual legacy to carry on, to bring forward to your next generation. You know, I've always told you all when I take over like, the mic for service sharing, I always said that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a local church girl. I love the local church. I love what God is doing through the church and through its people. And all this come from my parents. My father is, was a pastor at uh, Bethel Assembly, so he, but he's still an AG pastor. And he's left since to do like missions and then he started his own church. But I've grew up in church all my life, right? And, but it's not what he does in church, even though like, sometimes when he speaks at youth service, I get embarrassed because he tells all my stories. I wanted to say, Titus, I feel you. <laughs> when Pastor Daniel shares this kind of story. Um, yeah, but when the things that I remember of my parents are not about how they function in church. It's, it's about me waking up to the sound of my mother speaking in tongues, singing in tongues, praying for the salvation of her family and of, of, of like my father's extended family. It's, it's the image of my father reading his Bible while listening to very dramatic audio Bible CDs. And then the Lord. Then you got sound effects on. Very interesting. Very interesting. It, it, is, it, it, it is like instances where I wake up in the middle of the night to answer the phone calls and for people to want to meet my father because there's a deliverance going on in their house. Somebody's manifesting and like they are demon-possessed. It is my father bringing back people who are demon-possessed and they're praying at my house. My house was like a war zone. My father was like casting out demons and sometimes I'm thinking, are they coming to my room and I'll lock my room? Because they have to go somewhere. I know that for sure, right? They have to go somewhere. So I just make sure that they don't come to my room, can really. And if you seriously, I'll lock, even if I'm outside watching the process, I'll still lock my room. So it, it's like my home was like a, a war zone where, where my father is like, 
you know, out, 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 and then everybody shakaba, shakaba. It was like a, a shelter. I have, I've had like ladies coming to stay over and bunking in with me because they were abused or they were, they had, like, they were um, victims of domestic violence or they were chased out because they believe in Jesus. You know, and I, I have, I've had that. I, like my home was also a counseling center. I've seen my father and my mom sit with people, you know, talk to them in the study, people crying and leaving. I've had images of like cell groups on, on Friday and all the uncles and aunties and then how they're worshipping and how they're... I have images of my mom praying for people for healing and, and seeing like, you know, even the hands just grow longer, the limbs, like, like lumps disappearing. I, I've, I remember those times that they bring me to mission fields, sleeping on floors with cockroaches, which is why I have a very... Uh, uh, like super phobia of them now. You know, I have all these images of them and, and it all started with things at home. My parents left. I can recount this with such fondness in my heart and I, and I pray that with my kids, we do the same. That they will remember not, mommy is a worship leader or mommy talks on stage. But mommy actually lives out her Christian life from Monday to Saturday. And that's why, and, and you know, Christianity was never boring for me and it was never hypocritical for me because my parents weren't hypocritical. My parents weren't. They lived out exactly how, how they lived out on Monday, exactly the same on Sunday. Catch them on a Wednesday, it's the same on a Sunday. They lived out the same way. And even until now, when my mom comes over my house to take care of my kids, she's still spring, spring, spring in tongues, speaking in tongues, singing in tongues. I still hear my father's booming voice uh, while he's reading and then hearing like worship songs, asking Rudy to download worship songs for him on his iPod Touch. Christianity was never boring. It was always real. It was always exciting. You know, and, and in these last days, God is raising up families like that. God is raising up prophetic families. Families who will edify, who will exalt, who will bring comfort to other families. And it's not difficult. It's, you don't need to have dreams and visions. You just need to be inspired by divine inspiration and to be instructed by divine inspiration, to speak under the Spirit's influence. Because today's Mother's Day. So I just want to share about my mom. My father has a lot. I mean, uh, like he's my role model. But my mom is also like secret weapon. He's, she's an intercessor. So actually, I think she's more powerful than my father. So my mom, my mom was the only Christian in her family since she accepted Christ in 1970-something. And so to cut a very long story short, right, I've been blessed with both extended families being very close. Like relationally, we are very close and we always hang out. Especially my mom's uh, side of the family because we stay closer together in proximity. And so I remember when my grandfather, my maternal grandfather passed away and they gathered like at 3 a.m. at his house because he passed away at home. They, we gathered at, at his house, which is just opposite my house. And so we went over. And for the first time in my life, my, my, I, I was like, my world, not my world, but my, my image of like the closeness of the family crumbled when I saw my aunties and uncle like scolding my mum. Because my mum was saying, Akong already uh, was saying that my, my grandfather accepted Christ and we should have a Christian, uh, you know, funeral. Like, let's, you know, he, and so she was happy that, you know, he, he received Christ. But then all my other uncles and aunties were like, no, you know, I said, say, don't bring your religion into our, our house tradition. If he doesn't go, if he doesn't go into, into like, uh, his resting place, you know, I don't know, it's this Teochew thing, okay? If he doesn't go into, like, the place that he's supposed to go, the level, then you are to blame, you know, and then the, the family's curse will be upon you. And for the first time, I'm like, why are my uncles and aunties talking to my mother like that? And I was in primary school, and I was like, like, shattered my world of, like, my uncles and aunties are, like, they are loving and they're protecting. My, my mom just kept quiet and cried. 
you know, and for the next few days in the funeral, so they decided to go with the Teochew one. If you know Teochew funerals, it's like very elaborate. There's this tiao, this bridge that you have to cross, you carry lanterns. And we didn't participate in that. And everybody looked at us. For the first time, we felt ostracized by our family. We were just like, everybody hated us because we weren't like paying due respects to my grandma and, and to her mom. So anyway, that happened. And then that really caused a rift in the family for a while. And for, it took a, like really a few years. And then st- suddenly we started hearing, oh, this uncle is going to Lighthouse. Why? Oh, because he had, he had an ailment and then his friend invited him. He tried all sorts of things and his friend invited him to Lighthouse for a healing thing and then he, he got healed and he got saved. And he and my auntie are now attending that. So, and we only heard it like maybe like six months after they, attended, they attended church regularly. And then after that, just in that span of two years, and after a few months later, we heard, oh, this uncle and auntie who used to chain my cousin up <laughs> because she was going to church, chain. I'm not kidding. Changed the locks of their of their gates and beat and like purposely cane her where it's uh, very visible so she cannot go out. She'll be a f- like like ashamed to go out. They are attending the very church that they banned her from going and they are serving in the Hawkin ministry fervently. And then after that, we heard we heard like oh this this cousin is attending this service somewhere, and then another cousin is attending service, somewhere. and then my uncle and auntie are now going to a, like a a, a a like a family Chinese church. Then we're like, where did all this come from? And we don't know it, we don't know it until they like really become like attendees. They have attended life group. They're part. They're plugged in into ministries. Then we heard about it, and we're like wow. And then in just last year, uh, my auntie, my my uh, second auntie, who's like the the, the matriarch of the clan, because my first auntie, she was, uh, when she was young, she had uh, brain damage. She had a fever. They were in Kampong, couldn't rush to a doctor. She had brain damage. So she was slightly slower. So the second auntie became like a matriarch. My mom is number three. And so the second auntie, like after dinner, it was just a normal family dinner, which we usually do when she comes back from America. She lives there. And then we, she gathered all the family. She said, okay, family meeting. They were like, wow, what's happening? Like, who's going to get married or who pregnant or... You know, like, everybody start guessing. And so she set the family down. So at that time, all of us were Christians except for this, this pair of uncle and auntie. And I feel very sad because this auntie, she, she was working for a Christian boss and the boss ran away with all her salary and the salaries of her, coll- of her colleagues. So she has this, like, prejudice. And she's very hard uh, against Christianity. So, I, so we are still praying for her and her family. Uh, so just left one family. And so he, she gathered everybody and then my auntie shared this amazing story. She shared that like 10 years ago, 10 years ago, my grandfather passed away like I think 15 years ago already. 10 years ago, she was baking at home and then she fell and she hit her head on the counter and then she fell on the floor. And because she remembered that her show was going on like at 3pm. So the show was on and then she fell and then she said she went to heaven. Then I was like, when I heard that I was like, God, not fair, God, not fair. Like, Christian, how long already? Christian, how long? <laughs> Not fair. She went to heaven and then she walked the streets of gold and she sat down with Jesus and then she, she saw my grandfather. She saw my, she, she saw my auntie who passed on also, my first auntie who passed on. And then she saw some relatives and then she saw her friend and then she's just talking. And then after that, she said when she came, when she, and nobody was at home. So when she came to, she saw that, oh, it was only five minutes. Because she was still walking, watching the show while she was baking. So it's like, it was only five minutes past, but she, it felt like she was there for like a whole day. So she was playing. She was like playing on the streets. <laughs> she was, so as she was sharing this, like, you know, the, the, scent, the God's presence just enveloped the entire... Even my auntie who's not safe, like she started tearing. And all of us, besides me saying, not fair, not fair, I'm like, wow, God, so amazing. And my mom and, 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 my, and my, my mom also was just tearing. And my auntie turned to my mom and said, 
on behalf of the family, I want to thank you and I want to say sorry. You know, that, we, that at those times where we, where we ostracized you, we didn't, we didn't understand, we couldn't understand. But when God met us, right, like all of us are transformed, all of us are in church, all of us have, have a life after death because of you, because you kept praying for us, because you never gave up and you still loved us in spite of how we treated you in those years after my grandfather's um, death. And they were just bawling and they were like just... And you know, because when they got saved, eventually the, the relationship got better and then we, we, were, we are still as close as, as ever. But it was the first time they came to my mom and said, because of you, thank you, you know, because of you, thank you. And I tell you, their salvation story will forever be intertwined with my mom. Forever. It's a legacy that she has left, not, not just for herself. I mean, she was just playing her part. She was just praying for the salvation. And I remember those, those times from even when I was in kindergarten. But they only got saved like when I was in, like 10 years later. And my auntie didn't dare to tell us that she went to heaven because she, was, she felt so ashamed of the way she treated my mom. So for, this, for those 10 years, she was like, every time she comes back, she's always trying hard to like, to, to just champion my mom and like love her back, you know, until she felt like, well, God tell her, you must say, you must say, you must, you must tell her that it's because of her, you know, and, and yeah, and in fact, my grand, the reason why my grandfather's in heaven is because of, of my mom. In closing, I just want to read. In Psalms 22, it says, all the ends of the, world, of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Verse 30, a posterity. Posterity is future generations. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. God is calling families to himself. He's not just calling individuals. Your salvation is their salvation, yes? When you are saved, you and your household shall be saved. Your breakthrough is their breakthrough. Unlike the days of past where it's about one man's you know, ministry or it's just about one church or one, one special ministry, God is calling an entire generation to come to Him. God is shining down on families. No, it's no longer just the voice of one in the wilderness it is the voices of entire generations coming together to declare the soon return of the Lord. It is generations of bloodline presenting themselves before God and say, here we are. God is calling families. Single people, unmarried people, young people, you, you are the first believer in your family. You know, Rudy didn't have a generational legacy like me. I was, I was blessed with my grandfather, my, my great-grandmother, my, my father, then, you know. But Rudy didn't have a like, spiritual generational legacy. But when he and his two sisters accepted Christ, guess what? It is forever rewritten in the Indrali's history that they were idolaters. And then suddenly in this generation, they become worshippers of Jesus. And they began a spiritual legacy that will go on to their children and their children's children. And you can start today. Young people, I, I decided once and for all that me and my household will serve the Lord, regardless. Which is why when I want to have number two, my first thing is, oh, how to serve? In order to serve, I must have a domestic help. It, guarded, it, it navigated the way and it guarded the way I thought. Because it is a non-negotiable in my life that I want to be involved in church. It's not just about church attendance. I want to be involved in community life. I want to pursue the kingdom of God. And it starts today, before you are dating, before you are marrying. 
is the decision that I, me and my household will serve the Lord. And if somebody comes along that doesn't seem to serve the Lord together with me, sorry. Either you grow up or next, please. If you're the first-time believer, take courage from Rudy and, and, and begin your generational legacy today. Decide once and for all to partner with truth, to apply faith in the decisions of your life and to not just to bear children and multiply yourselves and you know, have little juniors, but have to have purpose in your family life. To ask God, what is your purpose? And I'm, so, I'm so thankful that we have Pastor Daniel and Joy now, and they showed us what it is to have purpose in the family's life. Your purpose might not be fostering. It might be championing broken women or young girls or you know, guys who are going through NS and struggling in their life. Whatever it is, find a purpose in your family's life. Parents, I just want to say this to you. Take it from a parent to another parent. You have to be an example to your kids. You can't give out what you don't live out. No. You can't give out what you don't live out. It's because I saw my parents' faith experiences. I saw the way they... My father was, the, was a sole breadwinner. My mom was a homemaker because of she had arthritis and she, and she took care of kids and to supplement for the income. But we saw how God broke through for us and we were never in lack. Never. I've never once remembered I was in lack. It's not that I got what I wanted all the time, but I got what I needed and sometimes more. I saw my, my parents being real on Sunday when my father is preaching, when my mom is ministering to people. I saw them as real as they are on Sunday as they are on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. That brought stability in my life. I know that Christianity is. And even though in my teenage years, I had a rebellious streak and I, and I went on some exploration and like, you know, discovering myself is just normal. There is no denying that Christianity is, that God is not real. There is no denying I cannot, I cannot turn to my parents and say, you're, you're so hypocritical. You say one thing on Sunday and then you behave like that. No, I could never say that because it was real. And parents, you have to, it boggles my mind when Christian parents want their kids to grow up in church, to love God, to serve the, the church, but they themselves don't do it. It boggles my mind. How? How? We all know that children model after their parents, more so in the spiritual it's difficult to lock my two kids here and then, you know, to, to always be in church early, to always do things, to always come down. But guess what? This is what they'll grow up knowing. They'll grow up knowing that church is real, that community is there, that there's support, there's love, there's acceptance. I'm so happy that they grew up in this kind of environment. They will grow up learning that worship is not just singing songs, but communicating with one another and just serving one another during lunch. That is community. And so even as... Jason leads us in a song I want to remind you that when, when God looks at you now that He doesn't see you as an individual He sees your bloodline He sees generations af before and after you and today you can make a decision to present you and your bloodline and your generations that come after before the Lord and say today me and my households we shall serve the Lord 